We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Hey, we're going to be in Acts. Uh, we're actually covering a large section of Acts right now. We only have two more weeks of Acts after this. So we're covering like the end of chapter 21 all the way through chapter 26. That's a lot. Don't worry, we're not going to read it all right now. But I strongly encourage you to read that on your own all the way through. Uh, the reason we're doing that is we've, we've been trying to kind of get the highlights of Acts and uh, we're really kind of doing like a chapter a week is what we have been doing. And to really kind of encapsulate the story of what's happening here, a lot of what's happening in chapter 21, the second half of it through 26, is Paul, he's made it to Jerusalem. He gets arrested. He's put on trial after trial after trial, and he gives his defense. And a lot of times it's the same defense, right? It's, he, he says the same words over and over. And so we thought, well, instead of preaching like five or six of the same sermons in a row, Let's just do it all together. So that's what we're doing today. Uh, But as you're turning there, we're going to be reading from chapter 25 and then chapter 26. And as you're turning there, let's just catch up a little bit on where we've been and how we got here to Acts, okay? So if you remember that this is not just a story of the people in Acts, it's part of a larger narrative, right? It's part of a much grander story that happened all the way back in the very beginning of time, that there's a God who created all things and he called it good. And he even settles into it. But he creates a a special creature, a special creation called human. And the first two humans had this call to be partners with God. They were made in his image. That means they were like living, walking statues, representatives of the creator of all things. And even though they were also creations, they were creatures, they were set apart from the rest of creation by being this kind of in-between, this mediation between the creator and his creation. They were representing the creator to all the world. And they were called to care for it. And they were given authority and dominion over all of it. But they were called to do that with the wisdom of God, their creator. And instead they chose, no, no, we can, we can figure this out on our own. We got this, right? We know what's right and wrong, what's good and what's not good. And so they decided to do things outside of what their creator designed for them. They decided to take matters into their own hands and rebelled against him. And yet God, in his grace, he pursues them. He continues to move after them and invite them back into this partnership with him to restore back to them what they were intended to be which is rulers over all of creation right alongside God, partners with him. He, he could have just ended it right there, but he pursues them and invites them back. And so he gives a promise that one day he's going to send someone through the humans, like one of their descendants, who's going to come and make all things right. And then the, the rest of the story continues and we see time after time after time, you think like, oh, is this gonna be that person? And then they fail miserably, right? It was, is this gonna be the one who sets things right? No, they fail miserably. And it seems like humans are in this loop, this cycle of repetitive sin and rebellion against God. And when things go bad, they cry out to God to come rescue them and he shows up and he rescues them. 
and then they turn away from him again. And they get themselves in more trouble, and then they cry out to God again, and this repetitive cycle continues. And so because there was no human who could actually live out this calling of being the image of God, of partnering with God to care for all of creation, of having true dominion and authority over all things in a way that is showing love and care for, God himself comes and makes himself a human. God himself comes fully immersed in the identity of humanity, being born into a poor family in a poor part of the town as a baby, a helpless infant who needed to rely on other people to care for him. Like, think about that. That's insane. That's what we believe, you guys. That's, that's, that's what this story is about. That's why you and I are here in this room right now. Think about the magnitude of what I just said, that the creator of all things made himself small, a human, a baby, and helpless, reliant on others to care for him. And that's what Jesus has done. And then Jesus lives for 33 years, living the perfect life that we were called to live as humans, and then entering into the rebellion or the curse of the rebellion that we brought, going to the cross to his death. And it seemed like the people who were following him were like, what just happened? Like this, this was the guy, he was supposed to come and make all things right. And now he's dead? And yet what they didn't understand is that Jesus was not coming just to make their life uh, and, and their temporary moment better. But he was trying to actually rescue them from the thing that had a grip on their very soul. Their sin, which would lead to death. So Jesus goes to that death. And he does battle there and he overcomes. And on the third day, he rises again through the power of the spirit of God who was there hovering over the waters of creation. The same spirit who bore Jesus uh, to a woman 33 years before that, then raises him out of the grave. He walks out of that tomb in the same body that he walked around for 33 years in, right? He wasn't just floating around like a spirit detached from, he, he in the body, that he walked around this earth with, Jesus still lives. And that's where Acts comes in because Jesus shows up to some of his people who were following him. He's like, hey, you guys, don't worry. All hope is not lost. In fact, when you thought all was lost, all was gained for you. I, I've not only, I haven't come just to rescue you from like these human oppressors and, and a bad life you experience right now in the temporary. I have come to rescue from the grave itself from death. And in the power of Jesus' spirit, everyone who follows and trusts in him can actually pass through death like he has and enter into the newness of life. And that's a sermon right there. We could all go home, right? Like that's, that's it. That's what we're, uh, but what we see then is now there's this community of people in Acts who Jesus has revealed himself as alive. He's given his spirit to, and then he's gone to be with his father to prepare a home for us to live with him forever in. But there's this in-between space, right? There's this, so what do you do until then? How do you live until that happens? This, this right here and now moment that we're still in in 2022 here today. 
our, our fifth symbol of the story, right? That God has not actually left us. Though Jesus is preparing a place for us, his spirit is dwelling here with us here and now and allowing us to be the body of Christ here and now with his spirit empowering us. And so these early followers were learning how to live that out in a world that was so antagonistic and violent toward Jesus, in the world that had killed Jesus and now is threatening them. And many of them were getting killed and thrown into prison. And yet in the face of all that, through the power of the spirit, they were speaking good news to even the people who were coming at them. And so you get this guy, Paul, or Saul, who was coming at them. And he was throwing many of them in prison. And he was there when Philip was being stoned. And he, he gave the head nod, like, yep, go ahead and do it. I'll hold your cloaks, you guys, while you murder this man for following Jesus. That guy has an encounter with the same Jesus. Jesus reveals himself to him. And it completely transforms who he is. And so then you, you, you change kind of the lenses of Acts. It shifts scenes to now this guy, Paul, who was once coming after Christians is now going after the nations trying to share with them about Christ so that more people would become Christians. And so Paul's been on these missionary journeys, traveling around uh, the part of the world that they knew at the time, but he's on a mission. He knows, I need to get to Rome. I need to get to Jerusalem so that I can get to Rome so that, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I can get to Tarshish, which we would know as Spain. Because to them, that was the ends of the earth. And they wanted all peoples throughout all the world to know about Jesus so that they could have life too. Because Jesus, what he had done by giving us his spirit is reclaimed our identity and our purpose as humanity to be the image bearers of God, to be partners with God, to care for and have authority over creation. And so by spreading, by multiplying the good news of Jesus to all nations, to the whole earth, we would actually be embracing that identity that Jesus has restored for us. So Paul's on that mission. And we've seen he's gone around a lot, lots of different cities, lots of different territories. And then he finds himself in Jerusalem. And that's kind of where we left off last time he makes it to Jerusalem and he's, he's trying to get there. He has some like relief funds to share with the people who are suffering through a famine there, but he's, that's just a pit stop. His next stop is Rome and then Tarshish, but something happens when he gets there and there's a riot that breaks out. There's a mob that's thirsty for Paul's blood and he gets arrested. And so that's where we're going to pick up. Paul's been already at this point of where we're reading in chapter 25 having to defend himself over and over again. But this one I, I chose for a specific reason. And we'll talk about why in a moment. But in chapter 25, starting in verse 22, he's standing in front of this guy, Agrippa. Agrippa is the Jewish king over that province, over Jerusalem. Agrippa said to Festus, who was a Roman official, who had Paul in his custody at the time. He says, I would like to hear this man myself speaking of Paul. And so Festus replied, tomorrow you will hear him. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice, who was Agrippa's sister, we'll talk about that in a moment, came with great pomp. It's not a word we use often, right? Uh, do you guys know that phrase, pomp and, pomp and circumstance? Yeah, you think about that with what? Graduations, right? What is it? It's you're, you're make, everyone's dressing in weird stuff 
that you would never ever normally wear, like these robes, and you're making a spectacle is what you're doing. You're making a big deal out of something. And so the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. And at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. I'm going to jump to chapter 26 here, and let's get to what Paul says in front of Agrippa. Okay, he's telling him, hey, listen, I was going around, and I was persecuting people following after Jesus too. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus, this is picking up at verse 12, with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. Remember, that word Gentile just means nations. So the Jews would say that word for any other nation other than Israel. I am sending you to them, to the nations, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. Pause for a second. Do you remember what Jesus said at the beginning of Acts in chapter one, verse eight? You will be my witnesses, right? You will receive power when the spirit comes upon you. So you're not doing your own power and you will be my witnesses to where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Paul's, he's falling in line with the mission of Jesus. I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to no small and great alike. Sorry, to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. We'll stop right there. This is God's word. Before I continue any further, let me just pray. Father, we ask that as we enter into a story that seems so foreign to us, a story that has taken place thousands of years ago across the other side of the world, that we would also see that we are part of this story too, that this is our story and that you have invited us in. God, would you help us to have clear minds, to have eyes to see and ears to hear? God, would you do your work through your word and your spirit in us today? In the name of Jesus, to the glory of the Father, we pray. Amen. So uh, last week, we didn't gather, right? Last Sunday, it was the 31st. We had a scattered Sunday. Some of us got together here with Northminster and did like a trunk or treat thing. Uh, actually, it was the 30th, sorry. And then Monday was the 31st, and we were like doing stuff in our neighborhoods, trying to get to know our neighbors. So Halloween happened, which can be 
a scary night, right? It could be a scary time of year. Like, it's weird. Like, people put up all kinds of scary stuff on purpose and celebrate it. Uh, I saw, like, during that week, the scariest thing I have ever seen in my life, you guys. It wasn't even on Halloween, but it was the same week. It was the scariest thing I'd ever seen in my life. It was so scary because, like, I came face to face with it. And there was multiple of these things, and they were around me. They were surrounding me. Uh, and it was very real. This is not a joke. It was very real and very gruesome looking. I did get a picture, so I want to share with you a picture of what was so scary to me that I came across this week. Is that not horrifying? That's disgusting, isn't it? <laughs> and gruesome. Who knows what this is? Go ahead and say it. Yeah. All right, so you guys are like, hey, we're on the internet, Chris. We know. We, we saw this this week too, right? <laughs> this is a close-up, magnified photograph, real photograph of an ant. Who would have guessed that that's what ants look like? Is that not terrifying? Now, there's, there's a couple things. And so I was really, I was surrounded by them in my backyard, you guys. And when I saw this, when I saw this picture later, I was like, that's what I was dealing with? Man, like that's kind of scary, right? And could you imagine being on their level and like coming? Did you, there was this movie, I'm totally dating myself here, called Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, right? Could you imagine like being shrunken down to that level and you see this thing and you're like, whoa. It, yeah, in the movie, it didn't look like that, huh? It was, it was the 90s. Their computer graphics, their CGI wasn't that great. They didn't know, yeah, they didn't have a high-powered microscopic photograph yet to prove this to them. That's insane. I, I, at first, I'm like, God, why? Why, why that design, you know? <laughs> but then I was thinking about it. And I was like, so when you see that picture, it's, it's weird. It's, it's kind of scary. But then you, you realize, like, oh, that's an ant. That's this tiny little thing. I kill those things all the time with ease, you guys. I don't want to brag. But I'm like an ant slayer, okay? Those things right there have no chance against me, right? Uh, and you probably, too, have killed many of those things right there. They're not as terrifying as that picture makes it look. I bring that up because that's kind of the pomp that Agrippa and Bernice were entering into that room with. That's, that's the pomp they're coming in. That word, pomp, actually, it's the only time used, I think, in the New Testament. The Greek word is fantasia but it's like fat with a PH. It's, it's Fantasia with a PH, okay? Sorry, that's another, only a couple of people got that reference. It's good. Fantasia with a PH. Uh, if you remember, again, dating myself, there's a Disney movie called Fantasia with an F, playing off the word fantasy, uh, but it was, it was when Mickey Mouse's like fame was kind of declining. And in order to kind of like boost people like loving this, their icon, Mickey Mouse, they went all out for this movie Fantasia. And they had like an amazing score done for it. They used the highest technology they could in audio at the time that was actually paving the way for surround sound today. And this was in the 30s. Uh, and they, they had like just crazy animation done. It was a spectacle. That, that's perfect for that word Fantasia, for pomp. That's how Agrippa and Bernice, his sister, enter into that room. Look at us. We're a big deal. And we could have you killed if we need to. 
But here's the reality is they're like that ant just putting a microscope on themselves. They're like that little tiny ant. Like you really have no power. You really can't do anything here to harm me. You may bite a little bit, but you're going to get crushed one day. Like, what are you really going to do? And this is what happens actually all throughout chapters 21 through 26, over and over and over again, as Paul's faced with all these little ants with like this magnifying glass over their faces going, look how scary we are and we're coming after you. And somehow by God's grace, because of the spirit present with him, Paul knows, no, 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 you can't. I'm not afraid of you. You're just an ant. You're just an ant. And because he's not afraid, now he's free to actually love them. And even in the face of what could be fear, in the face of what looks like certain death, in the face of persecution and being thrown in prison, in the face of all of that, he's able to share the story of how Jesus has saved him and how Jesus has sent him so that others would be saved too. And he gets to share this with all kinds of people. So I just want to review that real quick. Back in the uh, chapter 21, toward the end of that, what happens is he gets there to Jerusalem and Jewish people see him over by the temple and they just like go ballistic. They start stirring up a crowd and a mob and they're like, hey, this guy, what he's done is he has gone out and he's brought Greeks into our holy temple where only Jews are allowed. And so this crowd starts rising up and they get angry. And then it says, much like what happened in Ephesus with Paul earlier, it says that most of the crowd didn't even know why they were mad. They didn't even know why they were yelling and shouting for this guy to die. In fact, they're beating him and we don't even know how long until some Roman soldiers show up and they actually come to the rescue. They're trying to bring peace to the situation and they get Paul in their custody. And then Paul tells one of the Roman soldiers, hey, is it cool if I address the crowd and I talk to these people who are just beating me? And the, the Roman soldier's like, oh, you speak uh, Greek? I thought you were an Egyptian. There was this like, known Egyptian person who is stirring up riots and causing problems. And he's like, I thought you were that person. I was trying to figure out why they're so mad at you. I thought for sure you're that. Oh, you, oh you're, you're a Greek person. Okay. Which he's not, but he's speaking the common language. And so he goes, okay, go ahead, address them. So he turns to them and he says, hey, listen, brothers, fathers. He's like family. And they hear him speak in their language now in Aramaic. Suddenly they get quiet, like, oh, we, we were so mad at this person, we didn't even know why, but he's like one of us, right? And, and that's just like so true of our culture, isn't it? That we get so stirred up and angry about things, we don't even know why, because we think they're not one of us. So, and that's, that's the ant that gets magnified in our life, right? So he, he addresses them and he's like, hey, listen, guys. And he tells the same story we just heard, he tells Agrippa later. Listen, guys, I was like you. I was going around persecuting people for the same thing you're persecuting me for. But Jesus came to me. I saw the real Jesus and it blinded me from everything I thought I knew. But then it helped me to see for the first time. He tells the story of how this guy, Ananias, God appoints Ananias to come and touch Paul. And then suddenly he gets his sight back. He can see again. And then he teaches him and he disciples him and he tells him who Jesus is. And Paul goes out telling other people, 
all about Jesus. And he says that this Jesus has sent him to go to the Gentiles, to the nations. And it's at that point in chapter 22 that they scream, get rid of him. He has no right to live. Now think about what's crazy about that for a second. He had just talked on and on and on about how the Lord appeared to him and said it was Jesus. He's declaring to these Jews that Jesus is the Lord, the Messiah, the Savior, the rescuing king they had been waiting for to come and make all things right. And they're still listening. That's not what they get mad about. They don't get angry and bloodthirsty until he says Jesus has sent him to go welcome in other people too. Other nations, people who don't look like us, people across the world. That's when they start screaming for his murder. Now listen, doesn't that also happen for us today? Like, don't we also have plenty of people, and if we're really honest, like ourselves at times, who we're cool with Jesus. Jesus is my personal savior, I love what he's done for me. But you think that person should be part of our community? We're supposed to welcome that person into our church or into our home? We're supposed to show grace toward those people who are living like that? I don't know if you're catching this, but Paul's not the only one facing little ants that are magnifying their gruesome face and making a bigger deal and pomp than they really are. We got them too just to kind of peel back the curtain of what's going on behind the sermon right now, right? You guys are smart enough. You know what I'm doing. We, we got him too. They're mad not about Jesus being proclaimed as the savior. We think we're going to get persecuted a lot for that, right? And, and there are many people around the world who are. But it's not really that much around, around here. What they're really mad about is you're saying anyone can be saved by Jesus. Everyone is welcome into the kingdom and into the temple courts and into the presence of the holy God, not just us. That lights a fire. And in fact, there's about 40 Jewish religious leaders who decide, they make a vow actually before God that we will not eat or sleep until we kill this man. Do you realize what's happening there? A kingdom of priests is what God called them in the Old Testament. These are the religious leaders. What are they supposed to be? Mediators between God and others. Showing the love and care and kindness of God toward others so that his kindness would lead them to repentance and they would come into his fold. And instead of mediating life, they're pursuing death and violence. So then he's brought before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was this like religious council for the Jewish people. And there's another Ananias there. It's not the same Ananias who laid hands on him before and he could see it's a different Ananias. He's actually the high priest over this whole court. And he orders that Paul gets punched in the mouth. I don't know if you guys have ever been punched in the mouth before. It's not pleasant. But the dude who is supposed to be like the mediator of love of God, orders violence to be done. And Paul responds, God's going to punch you in the mouth. (laughs) Like, go read it. 
I'm not lying. I'm not making this up. God's going to strike you for what you've done. And everyone's like, whoa, you can't talk to the high priest like that. And Paul's response, I think, is kind of like, like he's kind of like satirically mocking them. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know he was the high priest. Listen, you know it's the high priest because he's dressed in pomp. Like he's flashy and showy, right? You know it's the high priest, but he's essentially saying, oh, with the way he's acting with violence, you could have fooled me. And the irony there is actually that the dude who's claiming to be the high priest of God is actually ordering violence against the one God sent to mediate good news for all the nations. You can't say that to him. He's like, well, he can't hit me. (laughs) He doesn't know who I am, right? (laughs) He doesn't know the God I serve. So he gets struck by another Ananias and he goes before that court. And there's all these people who are just like, they're coming after Paul one after one after one. And yet in the midst of all that, Jesus shows up to Paul one night. He's like, hey, listen, you're going to be okay. The way that you've been faithful in Jerusalem, you will be able to have the opportunity to be faithful to me in Rome. I'm going to get you there and I'm going with you. So then the Roman officials show up again and they take him into their custody again, away from the Sanhedrin. And he's in the presence of this guy named Felix. He's a Roman official. And they find out that Paul is actually a Roman citizen. And that's kind of what saves him from being killed in that moment. And he held on to that little bit of information on purpose, right? Because he's trying to get in front of as many people as possible to share the good news. He's not trying to just get his get out of jail free card right off the bat. But when they find out finally, oh, you're a Roman citizen, we can't let you die, is what Rome says. The very people who were oppressing God's people are now rescuing Paul from God's people. Look at the irony there. So we we gotta protect you as a Roman citizen. So they bring him into Felix's uh, custody and Felix is like, hey, tell me what this is all about. Like, why are people so angry? And so he shares with him. He's getting opportunity after opportunity to share the good news. And Felix is like, you know, that sounds interesting. I need to hear more. I'll come back later. And then he comes back later. And this goes on for two years. And we're actually told that Felix is secretly hoping Paul's going to bribe him and pay him off to let him go free. And Paul doesn't do that. He's offering him something much better. But for two years, he's in prison in Felix's court. Paul knows he's supposed to get to Rome. Jesus has told him that. But for two years, he's in prison. But all this time, he's continuing to share good news. This is likely where a lot of his letters to the churches were written. He's able actually, with the favor he gets from the Romans, he's able to have some of his friends come and visit him as well. He's in Caesarea at this time, and that's where Philip and his four daughters who were prophetesses lived. We heard about that a few weeks ago. And so he's able to have these interactions. And so no wonder that after two years, when Felix resigns and this new governor, Festus, comes into power, that within three days, he's like, I need to go talk to this Paul because the religious Jewish leaders have not shut up about him for two years about how they want him dead. Why do they still want him dead? He's in prison, like he's not a big deal, right? But they know as long as he's alive, the gospel's being preached and they're not wrong. So after three days, he's like, let me go see this man for myself. Festus goes and talks to him. He's like, I don't know what the big deal is. He goes back. One day he's having a fancy dinner with some friends, King Agrippa and his sister Bernice. Here's something we need to know about Agrippa. He's actually part of the Herod family. 
King Herod sound familiar? Where have we heard that before? Yeah, there was a King Herod the Great who had killed lots of children, firstborn males, in order to get rid of the Messiah. He's coming after Jesus, right? So Jesus' family was like on the land. They were on the run. That was King Herod the Great. Then his son, King Herod Antipas, was the guy who beheaded John the Baptist. And then his son, King Herod Agrippa I, is the one who we read in Acts 12, had James, the brother of John, killed and threw Peter into prison. And now this is King Agrippa II. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm thinking if I'm Paul going before this guy, oh, this is it. Like, we had a long history of not getting along with the Herods, right? This is, this is how it goes down. This is where it ends for me. But Paul knows that he's going to Rome because Jesus promised him. So he knows this is not death for me. This is an opportunity to speak life. And when Agrippa and his sister Bernice come, he gets to share the same story that he shared in Acts 22 with all the Jewish people. Now, here's the thing. He knows what Agrippa's like, and he knows he's not living according to the law, but he also knows that he's a Jewish king and he knows the story. So what does he do? He appeals to the story. He not only tells his personal story of meeting Jesus, he shares with him. He goes, hey, you believe the prophets, don't you? I know you do, king. He's appealing to their whole story, their whole tradition, their history of who they are as God's people. And then at that point, Festus yells out, he's like, you're insane, Paul. Just stop talking. And he's like, I'm not insane. I'm telling you what is true. And Agrippa knows that this is true. And Agrippa says to him, Paul, do you think in such a short time you're going to make me a Christian? And I love this. This is Paul's response. I don't care if it's a short time or a long time that I'm in these chains, but I would pray not only you, King, but everyone here who hears this would become what I am, except for these chains. What is he saying there? I am a new person. King Agrippa, I was like you. I was like those Jewish leaders trying to kill people like me. And I have been completely transformed by the love of Jesus. And now I'm willing to suffer just like he has for the sake of you coming to know that too. I know who you are. I know your family history. I know the atrocities you've committed against Jesus and his people. That was me too. And look at what he's done for me. I hope that that would happen for you as well. And instead of getting mad about the idea of other people being brought in, he's like, yes, everybody, everybody needs this good news. And I hope that it wouldn't take you to be in chains like I am right now to have a relationship with Jesus and to be brought into the family of God and to be made a new person. Like I I want it to even go easier for you. That's his response. Listen, Agrippa himself, like he's not the little ant with the gruesome face being magnified actually. Because you ask the question, you go like, okay, you said like that little thing, it, it can bite you, but it can't really like kill you, right? But here's the, here's the reality, like these people could have killed Paul. They could have. Here's what he knows. 
death itself is trying to throw pomp and circumstance in his face. Fantasia in his face. Death itself is trying to put a microscope on how gruesome it is. Death itself is saying, I'm coming for you, Paul. And Paul says, that's fine. You're just a little ant. I know someone who stomped you out. You can bite me, but you can't take my life. Because he knows that the same Jesus who entered into death came out of it is the same Jesus who has promised him, not only am I sending you to Rome, but here's a bigger promise, Paul. You will be with me forever in paradise. The pomp of death has no power. Death, where is your sting, right? And Paul knows if I can share in the sufferings that Jesus had for the sake of the world being saved, if I can share in a little bit of that suffering, then maybe some people would be saved. Then I get to share in the glory of Jesus and you get to come with me. And this is his mission. And it's not because Paul's amazing. Remember who he said he was. He was a Herod. He was a Pharisee. He was a persecutor. But Jesus' life in him, the spirit of God at work in him, allowed him to stare death in the face and say, you aren't that big. I know the one who controls life. And I stand with him. And I want you to come with me. And that's kind of where it ends with chapter 26. This invitation. Agrippa, I don't know if it's going to take a short time. I don't know if it's going to be a long time. But I hope, I pray that you would come to know. Then he's sent away because he appeals to Caesar, an even bigger ant than Agrippa. As, his, as being a Roman citizen, he has a right with their judicial system. I appeal to Caesar, which means, okay, hold on, we can't do anything now. Go take his case before Caesar, the emperor of the whole known world. And Paul's like, I get to go share this news with him now. I get to go share this news with citizens of Rome in the epicenter of the empire. And then I'm getting to Tarshish, to all nations. Listen, you guys, I I say this almost every week we do Acts because it's so true. We're all those nations. We're sitting here because of that work Jesus has done through those people. And now we are invited, like Paul, taking up that mantle, taking up that mission of going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, we're invited to share in that mission too. That with the power of the spirit of Jesus within us, we can stare death or any of these other little ants in our world in the face and say, what can you do? I know the one who has life. Would you come and join me with him? And that's the story that we have that we hold on to hope for.